On today's episode, I was joined by formerly Anglo-Libertarian, currently Chayada of Mercia, to discuss a piece by Carlisle and a video by Ryan Turnipseed on said piece. The piece comes from On Heroes, Hero Worship, and the Heroic in Society, and it's lecture number four, The Hero as Priest. The video by Ryan is titled Carlisle and Luther, and we go into it a little heavy, so if you'd like a little more context before the episode, then I would suggest at least listening to Ryan's video on it. It's a pretty good summary, and it won't take up too much of your time, only about 22 minutes. If you'd rather just hear us get into tearing Carlisle and Luther apart, then I hope you enjoy the episode. Give me a hand. It's red earth. It's in our skin. Shauna say the color comes from all the blood that's been spilled fighting over the land. This is home. Hey, and welcome back to the show. Uh, there was no episode last week because I'm absolutely shit at running my own show, but we're gonna we're, we're gonna be solving these problems in the uh, in due time. In the meanwhile, though, we have the oddest, formerly known as Anglo, who is now going by a uh, Cheada of Mercia. Welcome to the show, Anglo. Thank you. Feel free to call me Baz if that makes you happy. Baz, oh, I don't know if that makes me happy, man. It's one of those weird Anglo nicknames that. English and Australians have. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Bazo. You can't deny the charm of going to the chippy with Baz, getting a pint. That's what that it's is, all about. That is, that is true, but it also sounds very similar to uh, Dexter de la Paz. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel it out. I'm going to see how that goes. But, so, I have no idea show, who that man. is. How are you, really? You don't know Paz? Nah, no clue. Oh, he's one of... Oh, man. Okay, I'll have to introduce you to him another time. But, um, man, how's your Sunday going? I saw in chat you went to a Norman cathedral today for Mass. Oh, that, that was, no, no, that was the other day. Um, sadly, it, it's now Anglican. It was stolen from us. Um, but, yeah, it was a Norman church oh, fucking that Christ. I went to and took some fantastic th- photos of and thought the boys in the group chat would want to see it. Uh, today was mass at a that w- that w- uh, Victorian church. era neo- neoclassical church, which is pretty nice. Yeah, that's all. That's not bad at all. We do not have any of those in the United States. Uh, I vehemently stuff hate the city of New York. Pretty much, uh, I vehemently hate the city of New York. But there is one thing that they have going for them, and it's that they still have some beautiful churches from the colonial era. Mm. And then when the uh, when all those. I was, yeah, was going to ask if any would be Catholic, but I was sure they. Hold on, my Wi-Fi fucking sucks, man. I'm going to try a mobile hotspot because <laughs> there's a big delay here, and I think we're just going to interrupt each other. Bear with me. Yeah, we got. There's some nice Catholic churches over there, but they were surprisingly actually built in the last century, I guess, by all the, uh, hmm. the mix and the wops that came over. But <laughs> over here, man, like the arch. I live near the Archdiocese of Miami, and it is this ugly fucking church that I, I guess it had to be built in like the 70s or something because it's just this horrible ugly modernist concrete mess yeah 
sort of like mid. It, it, it's bad. It is really fucking bad. And the- I know all about that. Have I sh- uh, I've moved to a new diocese, and have I shown you the cathedral here? No, you have not. I'll send it to you on Twitter, so I don't dox the general area yeah. of where I live. Uh, it's a fucking monstrosity that, like you say, was built in the 70s, uh, and it's just a, a modernist piece of shit, clearly built by some sort of communist architect oh, God, uh, yeah. student. It's awful. Yeah, that's what the Archdiocese of Miami looks like. It is absolutely fucking terrible. Uh I, I I hate just in general what's happened to architecture. Then when you see a church that looks like that, uh, no excuse, no excuse <laughs> whatsoever. Also, there's a Presbyterian church near the Archdiocese of Miami because uh, it's all in this town called Miami Shores, which has like the highest density of churches in the area. And <laughs> I, for the first time, I looked at the stained glass they have there, and I think it has like some apostles on it, and it looks like African art. It's just, oh, it, right. it, it's atrocious. It is fucking atrocious. But, yeah, I, the, the, I, I saw oh, a uh, yeah. Anglican church in the center of London. Uh, I don't know what they were doing with their stained glass. It was meant to be, well, no, it wasn't even stained. It was just glass. And it was kind of meant to be in the shape of a cross, but it was all wavy and stuff. And just pure modern art for the sake of modern art and not reverent whatsoever. And I don't understand who wants that. Is there, is there anything reverent about Anglicanism in these days? Oh, yeah. No, I went to a wedding the other day of two uh, friends of mine, which was in an Anglican church. And aside from the female vicar, you wouldn't have known it wasn't Catholic, to be honest. Okay. Okay. So there's something at least. But yeah. That must be an older Anglican church. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a very, very old one. It was probably there before the Reformation. It's got to be because when I see Anglicans these days, it's like, what the were you an Anglican before you uh, converted, or what were uh, you? I, I flip-flopped on it. Um, when I first became Christian, I went to a Baptist church for a little bit. One, because it was around the corner from my house. And two, uh, being a skeptic and then suddenly going, oh, maybe there's something to this. It, I, I wanted to just go with the, the group that believed the least amount of things. Um, and when you just think, ah, everything's a symbol, it doesn't really matter, Jesus loves you, that, that did kind of attract me a little bit, but then actually going beyond apologetics into theology, uh, I knew I couldn't stay there, and I was either going to be Anglo-Catholic, um, which when I made a YouTube video, when I was still doing videos as Anglo-Libertarian, I said at the time I was becoming Anglo-Catholic. It didn't take long, though, for me to just realize that was all a load of crap and become proper Catholic. Yeah, uh, that it sounds like a pretty standard journey these days because for a lot of people, like the first Protestantism has become so. I think Roman Catholic is still the largest denomination, but there's yes. so many different sects of Protestantism that you inevitably look at that first instead of going directly to the Catholic Church. I think so. Um, but, you know, what's so funny about that is um, this video we're going to be talking about, Carlisle loves to talk mm-hmm. about um, how private judgment grants unity has luther given us unity in the church do you think jay you know i think really because we see that there's only you know the orthodox churches the catholic church and the lutheran church of course <laughs> yeah it's it's just uh, everyone not just like, follows their private like, judgments of the truth it all works out well not like lutheran started at like two centuries of borderline genocide in europe but uh, uh, there's no point getting into a shit fling contest over who genocided who more. <laughs> no, there isn't. But it is, 
it is undeniable that what he did, uh, you know, not that the Europeans were these peaceful people that never killed each other before. <laughs> yeah, that, lo- but... Loving neighbors. <laughs> it gave them this brand new excuse to suddenly look into their own countries and start killing each other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, why, why would you have to sail halfway across to the new world when you could just kill your neighbors? Yeah, like, look at, fuck, you know, Luther is bad, but I, lately I really have it out for Calvin. Mm, no, yeah, I, I tend to flip-flop between who's my punching bag. Luther is an easy one, but I think Calvin was just objectively worse, and you see what the Calvinists did, like, you look into yeah. France and the Huguenots and all that, and holy shit, these people were savages. Yeah. And and fucking Rene Descartes is their fault, so the Enlightenment's their fault, so the entire modern world is their fault. Yeah, it's... But it, at the same time, it's also Luther was claiming that having the Greeks in the Catholic Church is paganism infecting the church, I and mean, he had a bad really? philosophy. Yeah, so... Oh, of they, course. They yeah, all yeah. share, they all share some... Yeah, they all share some blame in there. But, yeah, Carlisle is... He, he's an interesting guy. Because like we were discussing before yes. the show, you cannot pin down what the fuck he believed religiously. <laughs> you, you, you just can't. We skimmed through his Wikipedia page, we looked it up on Google, and even in his time, no one knew what the hell he was. So, like yeah, we were thought- saying, he, he can't pin that down as a believer. No, and well, some, and again, before we start recording, I said that's always a massive red flag to me. Someone like Jordan Peterson, and to a much lesser extent, uh, Nietzsche, I, I just I feel like it's it's not a fucking complicated question, is it? Are you religious? What religion are you? Like you are not that fucking special that you have to give a vague answer. It's a pretty it's a binary question. Yeah, I have more respect for someone who will outright say they are an atheist than yeah. someone who is going to dance around the question. Because take uh, Carl Schmidt for example, was born and raised a Roman Catholic, and then somewhere in his twenties he fell out of the faith and didn't really do anything with it for the rest of his life. So. You, you can tell what this person was and what he believed. And yes. ultimately what you see with all these people is sort of a, a symptom of the era is that politics does become their religion, which totally. is a very big problem because they have they all have very good ideas. You know, Carl Schmitt's friend enemy distinction is one of the most oh, yeah. basic but important political revelations. Uh, Oswald Spangler and his that's another one that the way he approaches religion is strange to me and you look into his eras and he refers to like christianity judaism and islam as like magi era or magi what's his phrase for uh for a political era like epochs or something i don't know i haven't read spengler i really like to um apparently people rave about his theory of history and i'd like to get involved in it but i don't know it's a i mean i don't feel that i want to read the death of the west Mm. but it's also i'm not no, is it Death of... No, Decline of the West. Death of the West is yes. Burnham. Uh, I'd like to read Decline of the West, but also cyclical history theory is not that complicated. It's very intuitive. You have a, a rise, a golden era, and a decline, and then it just keeps going on and on. Yeah, and, and I, feel, I feel like that's pretty much... It's something I'm trying to wrap my head around in this reactionary thing that's quite new to me is like what is the actual theory of history that everyone agrees on because you get uh some people who say like if you believe in a cyclical theory of history like uh, i think it was was it mosca who like hated cyclical theories of history but now everyone loves 
Spengler's cyclical theories of history. I'm, I'm quite lost on it. Um, with the Italian elite, I get a lot of them mixed up, especially since like, mm. was it Mosca and Pareto hated each other, but had pretty much the same ideas. Yeah. Which is um, why, why um, they hated each other, but it's, Oh yeah, true. Yeah. What, what happens with the Italian elites is that they still had a little bit of wig in them. Right. So there were a lot of things that they got right, but they were still very liberal in what they wanted to achieve with it. So in you know similar vein, like if you read Burnham and you read, you know, the managerial revolution or the Machiavellians, you see that there's still this liberal streak to him where it's sort of like he wants to improve the system that he's under by understanding it better and removing the lies. Right. Which I guess that's what Carl Benjamin is also going after these days, but I don't care too much for him personally. Yeah, no, when I've I kind of just fell out of fashion with him. I I have no idea if he is any better these days than his heyday or not because I just haven't watched the guy for years. But I probably should just to see what he's doing. I I tried to listen to a stream with Oron McIntyre a couple of weeks back, but at this point, if you're still if you're a classical liberal that just wants to remove the veneer of liberalism and try to make it work, there's very little value there to me. Because it's yeah. obvious that it's it's, it's failed. It, it we've had look, four, three, four hundred years of evidence that this has failed. You can strip away the glamour that surrounds it and try to get rid of the lies, and it's still just a failure of a system. So, uh, I, I I like to take the ideas um, from these people. Uh, something I keep harping on about now is like, if okay, you want to take away the bad parts of this system that's gone wrong, but. Uh, it's it's more analogous to um, trying to like go back at a specific point in time. Say, okay, right, there was a time when um, enlightenment liberalism was good. We need to go back there. So, right, okay, if that's forty years ago, and you want to go back there, what's going to happen in forty years? You'll be right back where we fucking are now. So, what on earth was the point? Clearly, you need a whole gutting of this thing, and not just pick a point and ho- cross your fingers that it doesn't end up exactly the way it, ca- it has to. Exactly. That's like that was one of the first realizations that made me reactionary coming out of libertarianism. It's that even if, say, you could somehow restart the American Revolution, which I I recently did an episode sort of on the revolution, and I have a respect for it in some ways. Mm. But if you want to treat this as, you know, say Rothbard, who said the American Revolution was a libertarian revolution. Well, number one, no, it was number two. How's that going? Because if this was a libertarian <laughs> revolution, it failed immediately. Yeah, clearly. So you you can try to set the dial back. And this is the issue with all political systems, that you can try to set the dial back. It will inevitably collapse. But it's so evident that you compare the era of monarchies, even with its evolution from feudalism into a more centralized monarchy where the lords had less power, this still had a longer lifespan and has been more frequent in history. And provided more freedom to the citizens, generally. Yeah, Yeah, usually, because... And that was the thing, is that that's why it's centralized into a more central monarchy, is that this is the juvenile's idea, the the high-low mechanism, where the peasantry under a a monarchical system tends to end up having more liberties because the king wants to appeal to them more to sort of 
crush the middle of the aristocracy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it works out better. But we see the shelf life of liberalism has been absolutely pathetic. (laughs) Countries have risen and fallen in like record times. I think it's one of my most uh, successful tweets now, just before I did this rebrand, was that countries that lasted over a thousand years in monarchy are, are falling apart after a century of democracy. Yeah, so look, look, France is what, into their fifth republic? Probably, the, and, and with multiple empires and uh, <laughs> kingdoms in between there as well. Yeah, that... Yeah, I know you have your thoughts about the French because you have to as an Englishman. <laughs> and <laughs> I am I obligated. Have, exactly. And I have my thoughts of the French as someone who has like real, very recent French heritage. You know, as an American, Disgusting. I am a Euro I am a Euromut. So but at and least none I get of the good parts of Europe. How did you manage that? What baffles me more is how I got all those parts of Europe and still came out a Jew. <laughs> Literally rolled the worst possible <laughs> role you could ever. It is amazing. But at least I'm first generation, so I can actually claim these heritages instead of saying, well, my family came here 200 years ago, but I'm a 1256 Irish. Honestly, no, fuck it, fuck it. That's the, the <laughs> most annoying fucking thing ever. If I was Irish, you know, I would absolutely lose my shit every time I heard that. It's bad enough <laughs> in hearing it now. Yeah, it, it is a fucking joke. But so I, I find the French history interesting in that they destroyed their country in 10 years. And then there was a monarchy like almost directly after which they destroyed again. Yep. And then Napoleon came up and then they destroyed that. And he came back. And then there was a monarchy, yeah. and then they got rid. It's a fucking mess. Of course, it is. So we we see, and you know, Napoleon. Like this is something that. So what we want to talk about today from Carlyle is directly from his pamphlet of essays, uh, on heroes, hero worship, and fuck, I forget what the full title is, on heroes, hero worship, and the heroic figure, something like that. And he has a lot of weird people in here. Like if you look at the list of the six lectures he has. Lecture one is the hero as divinity, Odin, paganism, Scandinavian mythology. Oh, fuck. Then lecture two, the hero as prophet, uh, and he spells Muhammad weird, Muhammad and Islam. Lecture three, the hero as poet, Dante and Shakespeare. Lecture four, which we're covering today, the hero as priest, Luther, Reformation, Knox, and Puritanism. Uh, lecture five the hero is man of letters johnson rousseau and burns and then lecture six the hero is king cromwell napoleon modern revolutionism oh so (laughs) okay interesting uh, choices on the last one there and uh calvin and puritanism we haven't watched anything about that that could be interesting maybe it'd probably be even worse than what we're already going to cover it's very strange to me that he chose... So I don't know who Knox is, but I'm guessing this was a Puritan reformer? Yes, he is. He was um, a basically a Calvinist who turned all of Scotland into Presbyterians. Oh, lovely. Yeah. A, a quick tangent, but as a, growing up as a kid, I thought Scotland was closer related to Ireland in that there was a lot of Catholics there. And I was very surprised to learn that that is not the truth. Nope. Uh, John Knox turned the entire country Presbyterian immediately after um, the Church of England became established. I don't know how on earth he accomplished it. And it makes the history of the Jacobites extremely confusing 
because Calvinists and Presbyterians in general are the most anti-Catholic of Protestants, and they desperate they gave their lives to try and restore a Catholic monarch in England. So it's just Scottish uh, history around that period is bizarre. Because what I looked into for the Stuarts is that it wasn't until what was James the Seventh was the one that was finally deposed. So many James, I can't keep up with that. It was like James the Fifth, Sixth, or Seventh, one of them. Oh uh, yeah, but it depends if you're looking at. <laughs> Did you know what? Um, why? So the, James the First was James the Sixth of Scotland, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It, yes. That's so hard it was James to explain. The second. Yeah. yeah. Because he was like the sixth king of Scotland, but then he united under the monarchy of England. And yes. Fucking weird. I, I, I was talking about it in chat last night. I want to trace like the nobility in Europe, but it's fucking impossible. It's just <laughs> fucking impossible. No, well, I mean, you're saying you want to trace the nobility of an entire continent. I mean, good luck with that. Yeah, I wanted to specifically focus like mostly on France and England see like who is living because somehow the Prince of Liechtenstein has a claim to the Stuart throne really? in England. Yes. So How did I don't know that. Yeah, Hans Adam could actually become the king of England. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I only know that because Yarvin talked about that either in open letter or one of his unqualified reservations blogs, but Right. Could never fucking happen, but yeah, the the royal family of Liechtenstein has a claim to the English throne. And then alive today in France, there's three different people that could claim the throne of France because the there's still if people it existed. Elected. Exactly, but they want to reinstate it. Uh, Good. The thing is, Jean Alphonse II of the House of Bourbon wants to reinstate the throne. And then there's, uh, no, it's Louis Alphonse. Then there's Jean Christophe Napoleon. Of course, it's Louis. And then there's someone from uh from the House of Orleans. So that could be interesting if France ever plunges into a civil war, which they probably will. Again. They, they cannot. That's what I love about the French. They work. They riot 10 months of the year, vacation one <laughs> month of the year, and then work one month. Yeah, and that work is broken up by strikes. Yeah, and tax evasion. <laughs> oh, can't go wrong with that. <laughs> no, never. But yeah, it's really, he chooses some weird people to laud here. So he lauds Muhammad as a prophet oh, man. instead of a, a heretic. Wow, he, lauds he, likes Luther, heretics. he loves them. He lauds Luther as a reformer and Knox as a reformer. He lauds Cromwell as a king, Fuck which I mean, <laughs> makes no fucking sense. Well, it does really, to be honest, because he was, he said he wasn't, but he fucking was. And it's, uh, it's. Normally, I, I, when you call Cromwell a him, king, it's derogatory, and it should be, but I it, oh, yes. imagine with Carlisle, it's not. I would put him more in line with, like, a Roman dictator. Yeah, I guess. But lauding Cromwell, like, quick tangent, fucking genocide of Catholics in Ireland. Just a bit. <laughs> fucking maniac ruins the, cause the, 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 the English monarchy. Also, this is another thing I was talking about in the last episode. Because of Cromwell, is not really a monarchy anymore, because what legitimate claim do they have anymore he fucking killed them (sighs) at least napoleon sure Uh, napoleon was still liberal but at least he saved france from itself with from the revolution so there's something there i I entirely lost you there i don't know i don't imagine i missed much to be honest no i'm just saying that uh so picking cromwell as a great man is weird but picking napoleon at least Napoleon did save France from itself. Yes, and he has the actual traits of a great man, that being someone who, you know, is able to unite society and not 
collapse it. Yeah. His issue, though, is he is still a liberal. So, yeah. but whatever. Oh, yeah. You know, I want to talk. Uh, I want to talk Napoleon on a different episode in this show. So let's get into the way I found this is I've been already been looking into Carlisle's idea of hero worship because it is something that could potentially save society. That great man. Yes. But the American what, season. Oh, that would be fucking amazing. But what caught my interest was when I was doing some chores around the house and a Ryan Turnipseed photo, uh, video showed up in my suggestions on YouTube. And it was specifically Carlisle talking about Luther. And anyone that knows me or you knows we're obviously not the biggest fans of Luther and Lutheranism and the Protestant Reformation, quote unquote. Yeah. Which, not a Reformation. No, that, that's my biggest point. I've got, like, bone to pick with this. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get into that. But I, I pull up this video and I started listening to it as I'm doing these chores. And... No hate to Ryan Turnipseed, who is a Lutheran himself. He's a uh, he's a very good thinker. He's a very good uh, content creator. So no disrespect to him. But the lauding of Luther was something that was making my stomach turn. <laughs> and I couldn't finish the video in one sitting. And then I sent Me it neither. to you for the express. Yeah, I sent it to you for the express purpose of making this video. And you couldn't get through it either because <laughs> it is... It's this perfect storm of a historical, mm, yeah, uh, theologically entirely off base, uh, theologically like void, not just off base. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, and just uh, this complete fucking mess. So it really it it stuck out to me as this this perfect storm of how can you be so fucking wrong about everything you're writing about and have this confidence. <laughs> that you're entirely right. I mean, he gets his definitions in. He uses his own definitions throughout yeah, the entire for fucking idolatry and other stuff. Just crazy. Like it, literally in the first two paragraphs, he says, and I'll, I'll give him credit. At least he admits he's using his own definitions. Yeah, but why? But, like he says, the priest too, as I understand it, is a kind of prophet. Okay. In him too, there's required to be a light of inspiration, as we must name it. He presides over the worship of the people, is the uniter of them with the unseen holy. He's the spiritual captain of the people, as the prophet is their spiritual king with many captains. He guides them heavenward by wise guidance through this earth and its work. Now, you know, at the end, um, using his own definitions, he describes a pope as a spiritual <laughs> captain, not as the pope. So just, you, you can't just use another word, dude, or just use spiritual <laughs> captain. And this is the thing, like, he perfectly, and throughout all of this, he perfectly describes a pope and wants to use it to describe Luther. Yes. For no fucking reason. Because he's not even a Christian. He, oh, yeah, it's hard to tell. Then that's that. I think that's worse than just being an atheist, to be honest. Yeah, because I, I mean, pulling this up from his youth, this is somewhere. Uh, this is somewhere in the early 1800s. He says, "I read Gibbon, and then first clearly saw that Christianity was not true. Then came the most trying time of my life. I should either have gone mad or made an end of myself had I not fallen in with some very superior minds." So. He, he has no room to be talking about anything in Christian history here because he does not care for it. He doesn't believe in it. Does, yet, does he not say in the second part there, essentially, he was brought back? 
because it's hard to tell what he means. I don't. I don't know. That 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 is that that's the mind numbing thing. I have no idea what he's referring to here. <laughs> was it that he fell out of Christianity and was saved by just these genius intellects that he hang he hang around? Roy was on Twitter. <laughs> Official I mean, there, source there of doctrine. I would love to see what it would be like if they had Twitters. Like, yeah, that would be pretty good. Carlisle had a Twitter. That would be interesting. I don't think yeah, I would agree our group with chat it, would be ratioing would be... the fuck out of him right now. If I was talking about this. <laughs> Dude, imagine if Aquinas had a Twitter. Oh, ah, uh, he, he's he's too innocent for it. He wouldn't be on it. I don't think. Too innocent. Dude, he chased a hooker that his dad hired for him with a hot iron. Yeah, and he's innocent. More of it. That is true, but <laughs> Aquinas chased the hooker. I killed a hooker. No, I, I, Aquinas, Aquinas wouldn't have it in him to just call someone a fucking idiot and block them, so he wouldn't have a good time. That is true. I think he'll be more of a an Edward Phaser on Twitter. Exactly. He just comes on to Edward Phaser's funny on Twitter. He'll just like uh, say <laughs> say something that nobody understands, or just talk about like what he's eating for dinner. I think that's just so pure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think and everybody would love him for that. Yeah, true. I think I'm glad we have Matt Frad on Twitter. Did he see the, did he see that clip the other day that Caleb sent of uh him saying why are there no good black swimmers? Oh no, I I I, I need to watch that actual episode, <laughs> but I saw yeah Caleb talking about it. Fucking legend. <laughs> but so he Carlisle really confuses me throughout all of this because he has yeah no real interest in Christianity from what I can tell. And he's in this piece. So I guess he's approaching this with historical interest. And this coalesces with his historical biases. Because we we talk about this all the time in private. Is that you see these people that they it looks like they've never actually interacted with a Catholic. And if they have, they interact with someone who is just a good Catholic, attends mass, you know, does the mm. sacraments and doesn't think too much about it. Yeah, either that, or I think they can encounter a lot of, um, th there are a lot of e-caths around on Twitter and stuff, but uh, a prevailing attitude I see is of presuppositionalism, which like a, a presuppositionalism, which is not surprising because a lot of Protestants do believe that in terms of um, scripture, but presuppose Catholicism is wrong, then a Catholic tries to tell you that it's right, but Catholicism is wrong, so you don't have to listen to them, easy. Yeah, and where where in the scripture does it say that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. Where? Let's not even get into that. We're going to be here for too long. <laughs> yeah. Where in the scripture does it say anything about the Trinity? Yep. Well, mm, it says a lot about the Trinity. It just doesn't use the word. But that's what Mormons fucking say. So that's too many rabbit holes here. <laughs> there's there's so many. This is what I hate about this piece. Is that there's a million places to fucking go with it. Oh, totally. Like but, every, every quotation that Ryan gives of Carlisle, you could spend like twenty minutes on. Just yeah. saying, what do you mean? <laughs> what basis do you have for anything you're saying? So I, I I think to start, we should just quickly go over what the hell was the quote unquote Reformation, mm -hmm. because, uh. Everybody talks about it. Yeah, everybody learns about it in a history class, and nobody ever actually stops to look at it or what happened after with the Council of Trent. Like, yes, to this day, people are still bitching about indulgences. Which I know. Right? Number one, sh show me where it's wrong to do that. Thank Just, you. I was going to start off by saying, where? like, yeah, I don't think I, I think they were fine. 
it's 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 basic penance surely giving up goods is a penitent act and oh the goods happen to go to the church oh boo fucking who they can go and help people oh no to this day the church is still one of the largest charities on earth Um, yeah without these indulgences because everyone kicked off such a fucking shit fit that they stopped (laughs) it's like oh boo hoo they're making the churches lavish okay they're, they're lifting people's minds and hearts to God. Oh, no. It, it, it's a place where you're inviting the Holy Spirit in. Do you want it? Uh, uh, you know, stupid question. Do you want it to look like a fucking just a audit? You know, uh, I've been out of elementary school for so long. Uh, auditorium. Do you want to look like just a fucking auditorium with fold-out chairs? Well, some, clearly the answer like, is yes, they do. Yeah, obviously. Like, <laughs> someone on Twitter actually said that recently. They would have actually rather their church just look like a conference room than an old european cathedral it's like you don't actually believe this you're just being stubborn and then they're gonna sing hosanna which means glory and where's the fucking glory in your preschool not even a cross on the wall because that's idolatry it's fucking crazy (laughs) but you know you can have a kitsch painting of jesus like hugging somebody in heaven that's not that that's not iconic that's oh, not and, an no, no, and uh, nativity sets that's not idolatry cross <laughs> yeah as long as you don't have jesus on the cross then it's not a crucifix yeah. anywhere else so it's fine it's fine <laughs> it's fucking... oh man <laughs> yeah so i like let's just go over briefly the whole indulgence scandal so sure. go off right okay so starting i was going to link this to another point that he makes about dante which is just very funny but I'll save yeah. that for later. Oh so, my god, the Dante thing. <laughs> in, indulgences were something done in the medieval church, which was basically, uh, depending on your wealth and your social status, uh, would determine the amount of money you could give as an act of penance. Uh, I don't know... Ah, here's a good point. I don't know if it was used um, as a replacement for the sacrament of reconciliation, aka confession, but regardless, um, it was an act of penitence. You would give up some of your wealth just as you are required to give up some of your food when you fast, as you are required to give up um, bodily and earthly pleasures for the sake of um, the faith. You can give up money. Uh, Nobody has any issues when you give up money to charities. Uh, If you give money to the church, which is what an indulgence was, everyone, uh, well, Luther started it and then everyone else had a massive fucking tantrum about it. And I just don't understand. I do not see what was wrong with it. I I don't either. And it's, it also, from my understanding, it did not replace confession. Right. Like, you still went and did confession because you see stories from the medieval era that he, they catch a priest in a brothel or they catch someone uh, participating in sodomy. And they didn't, you know, they didn't kill you. They didn't hang you or put you on trial. Yeah. They dragged your ass to confession. And mm-hmm. even if you showed up there next week, they just did the same thing. And you weren't excommunicated as a priest. And Sure, you know, someone like Luther might see that as a, an awful evil. You should be completely banished from society yeah, forever. You shouldn't forgive and... people, surely. <laughs> yeah, why would you do Why would you forgive people for their sins? That's... <laughs> <laughs> Only God can do that. If someone Therefore... trespasses against me, I'm, I'm not going to forgive them. <laughs> do, Protestant, do Protestants even do the Our Father prayer? Oh, well, no, yeah. No, it, it's, it's in the Bible, so they've got no fucking excuse not to do that. So they do. <laughs> Okay, well, you know, I would not put it beneath them, but <laughs> it's it, it's insane. So it didn't replace any sacraments. This right. was a, another avenue to 
do penance for your sins. And I don't see the issue. I like, I really don't see the issue that if you are someone who has the money to spare for this, you are wealthy. It's not buying your ticket to heaven. I mean, that's one of the things that people always get wrong about the Catholic church. And this is something that is inherent in Protestant theology, quote unquote, it's that (laughs) they feel like you can make the claim that you are going to heaven. Right. And that you can say with certainty. So, like, I don't know if you're familiar with Pastor Steven Anderson. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you watch yeah. the Bible Way to Heaven video. and How to be this, sure that you're going to heaven. It's like, how can you speak with this authority, this this ego? And it's the same thing that Luther had, this, this absolute ego that for 1,500 years at that point, everyone else was doing it wrong. The apostles yep. were wrong. The apostolic succession was wrong. And he was the only one who was right. And he could decide what books were in the Bible. He could decide what sacraments were valid. Uh, He could decide all of that. And it's this this absolute ego that, you know, at least uh, Joseph Smith had the honesty to say that he believed he was greater than Jesus. Mm -hmm. And he had his uh, special tablets he couldn't read, whereas Luther read the Bible and went, you know what I think this means? That was the only possible thing it can mean. Anyone who disagrees with me, well, you're just wrong. So, so, so this is this ego that you can confirm that you're going sure the, the church can canonize someone and say that they are sure this person went to heaven but the operative term there is went to heaven they're not saying in this person's life that they're sure you're going to heaven or you're yes. going to hell the only certainty with which you can say someone's going to hell is if they die a heathen like yeah that that's that's the only certainty you can have yeah, oh, and on, on their deathbed, they are saying, I reject this, I do not believe it, and then immediately lights go out. That's the only way you can yeah. know. And that's why. It's like you have had every chance in your life to accept Christ, and you didn't, so okay. Yeah, you're, the final hurdle. Yeah, you, you're, the, you're going to hell. So it's like, that's the only certainty. But you can't say with certainty that you're going to heaven. No. You, you just can't. So you're not buying a ticket to heaven with an indulgence. No, no. It, it's... It is Puritan hysteria. It's it's right at the very beginning. Uh, just you can't do indulgences because that's saying that you can buy a ticket to heaven, and then the church can say, "No, that's not what it means." And you go, "Yes, it is." It's like, uh, okay, now like where do you, where the fuck do you go from there? Just being told, "No, what you're just lying to me." Well, that's, that's not our doctrine. Yes, it is. Where they go from there is the Council of Trent, where oh yeah, <laughs> within that time period, within the life of Luther. The church is trying to stop this catastrophe that's going on, and they say, okay, there's the scandal around this. It's not wrong, but we're going to stop doing this. Yes. We're going we're, to—and we're not going to—they didn't ban it either. They just said, as the, as the church, you're allowed to do this, but we're not encouraging it anymore. Right. And what happened? Where are the bishops today that do indulgences? Show me throughout the entire world, the largest— I don't want to say denomination or sect of Christianity because, you know, it is Christianity. The true church. But, you know, where where are they doing this? Yep. Nowhere. Where in South America, where in Europe, where in America, where in Asia, where in Africa, where are they doing indulgences? Nowhere. E- even in Carlisle's time, where were they doing indulgences? Yeah, again, this is, this is the, it's the hysteria. They haven't done it for hundreds of years and they're still shitting themselves over it. It's insane. And so that like this is what drives Luther to do his quote unquote reformation. And it's not a reformation because he doesn't reform the church himself. Trendless. When the church reforms, 
he stays split off. Yep. So how's this reformation? And again, Puritan hysteria. I'm going to keep coming back to it because I'm I'm reading um, Moldbug's older stuff right now, and so it, it comes up a lot. But it's it's so fucking true. You you kick off an absolute shit fit, uh, then. The, saying that the church needs to reform the church goes okay okay fine we'll reform happy now no even angrier than they were before it's just yeah. it's so petulant and childish for, and it hasn't no stopped reason. it's it's ego it's entirely ego like you don't want to admit that these people can change because you just had a vendetta against them yeah and you can't you can't say you're wrong or that uh you know things are good now we can go back no you have to keep doubling down constantly because you are right and you can't possibly lose any face <laughs> yeah like how can the Anglicans still claim that they their church is valid when Henry VIII had a Catholic priest read him his last rites? Really? Oh, I didn't know that. That's good. Yeah. Oh, dude, he was an opportunist through and through. He, oh, I believe I mean, he still uh, thought that scripture should only be um, in Latin, if I can remember correctly. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I just know that throughout his whole life, the Anglican church was just a political avenue for him to divorce. Which Yeah, totally. He killed his fucking wives anyway, so what's the point? Yep. Could have done that anyway. <laughs> and, I mean, defender of the faith. Yes. Shit. So well, he, he deserved that title because he got he Thomas did. Moore to write loads of letters calling... Uh, a, what is it? Have you, have you seen what he called Luther in one of his letters? No. Um, I've got some something great to show you. Oh, that, I cannot wait to see that. But I so, believe it was um, Thomas More wrote a letter on behalf of Henry. Mm. Uh, and it's... Oh, I, please, can I find it? It was so funny. I, I, I don't think I can, but I, I promise you this is true. It says, um, your mouth is the gaping moor of which the river of shit of all shit flows from. <laughs> and that, that is hey, why no. Henry VIII got called Defender of the Faith, because he said that about Luther. If you've ever read Luther's writings, he probably took that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Man we, we are shit wrapped in snow, whatever he said. He was obsessed with scat. Oh, yeah. Just like Mozart. Can explain. Yeah. It was, I think Mozart was a Catholic, though. Yes, he was. Uh, he based. went... Oh, he's so based. It, when, when Rousseau died, he just like uh, completely stunted on him. No, Voltaire. Oh, yeah, well, that's the one. Yeah, he was like, I am a man who's always kept God before my eyes. And I could not have any friends who did not. And Voltaire has died like the dog he was. <laughs> Fire. <laughs> that, is, that is fucking great. But yeah, so to call this a reformation is like... It is insane because even in the way that Carlyle is writing about it, you would assume that he saved Christianity with this reformation and that therefore he improved the Catholic Church. Yes, that is what a reformation would be. You would have reformed the church. Is that what he did? And, you know, in a very loose sense, sure, but then he stayed schismed. So, yep. and uh, from the theological aspect, it's like, okay, this makes the Lutheran church invalid because then the church did change for what they complained about. But no, then they added other things. So now it's sola fide, sola gracia, sola uh, scriptura, and all that shit. It's like, what? Yeah, how? Um, and this is the this what really got my blood boiling in this uh, video uh, is the talk of how. Let me let me just find my notes or whatever they were. Okay, Carlyle loved Catholicism at the time of Dante. It seems 
Uh, yeah. Let's have a look. Uh, so he hates and in- Carlisle hates indulgences. Thinks that the Reformation was right to get rid of indulgences, which uh, it did, even after Luther stayed in um, heretical schism. So Dante was around in the 13th and 14th century. What do you call them? Indulgences. I, f- I forgot, fucking forgot the name. Indulgences began in the 11th century. So at the time of Dante's sublime Catholicism, they had been doing the thing which Carlyle made the Roman Catholic Church invalid for 200 years. So yep. what, what, what was it about Dante's Catholicism you actually fucking liked? Uh, Uh, The Pope was still the Pope. Uh, There were still indulgence boxes at every church right right next to the entrance. They were still praying to the saints. They still didn't believe Sola Scriptura or any Sola Fide. What what on earth did Luther actually take the church back to? So, and here's, and and that's one of the things is like, he took the church back to, and he keeps repeating this throughout the video and throughout the essay. And that, you know, he brought it back to what Christianity always was and what it always should have been. It's like, no because the church was just building off what people have been doing for 1500 years but what he loved about dante i'm trying to find this here as he's talking about uh so what he loved dante for uh it's in this paragraph thus then as we have seen great men in various situations building up religions heroic forms of human existence in the world theories of life worthy to be sung by a dante practices of life by a shakespeare we are now to see the reverse process, which is also necessary, which also may be carried on in a heroic manner. Curious how this should be necessary, yet necessary it is. Uh, I, I want to say Carlyle is not a good writer. <laughs> yeah, As someone who is a trained writer, like this is, this is a fucking mess. Uh, the mild shining of the poet's light has to give place to fierce lightning of the reformer. Unfortunately, the reformer too is a personage that cannot fail in history. The poet, indeed, with his mildness, what is he but the product and ultimate adjustment of reform or prophecy with its fierceness? No wild St. Dominic's and Thebed Eremites that had been no Melonius Dante. Rough practical endeavor, Scandinavian and other, from Odin to Walter Raleigh, from Ophila to Cranmer, enabled Shakespeare to speak. Nay, finish the poet, I remark sometimes, is a symptom that his epoch itself has reached perfection and is finished. That before long, there will be a new epoch, new reformers need it. So in his weird little history of the world, he lauds Dante for his poetic quality and for being the end of his epoch. So that's what he loves Dante for, being the end of the church. Oh, right. So <sighs> there you go. His points are still fucking... Well, there are no points still. Um, the, the, no, here is where we get into the point where you realize it is completely theologically void. Uh, because you would have to ask Carlyle, okay, what is it about Dante's Catholicism or the, the Catholic Church in his epoch? What was it that was so good? Because Luther hated every single fucking piece of it. He, hate, he hated scholasticism, and that was right at the time of mm-hmm. Dante. Yeah, I think what Dante and Aquinas lived roughly in the same time in the yeah. same areas. Yeah. So I uh, just uh, his his idea that uh, Luther was sort of returning the Christian faith to a point which it had been at before is just fucking lunacy. There is no there's no basis for that. There is no apostolic or um or there's there is no tradition 
There is no point where you could say, oh yeah, the church in the 6th century, that was when everything was good. Luther returned all the dogma and doctrine of the 6th century. No, he came up with his own dogma and doctrine. He didn't return it to anything. He made it all up. Yeah. Yeah, him and Calvin and the likes, they all, because these were trained Catholic priests, Yeah, decided that because they were able to read the Bible, that they could interpret the Bible themselves. And they did not, they were so egotistical that they did not care if anybody else disagreed with them. They somehow had the correct reading and they could not be proven wrong. Yeah. And I mean, there's, and here's another thing. Carlisle was talking about how a priest is the uniter and all that. And we were saying like, that is, that is a Pope, but even under the Pope, it it has to come down to councils for the Pope to rule on. something. So there's always going to be a dictator. Yeah, there's always going to be this diversity of thought within the church where you see at the same time, because also Aquinas and Scotus are writing roughly around the same period. There's like a hundred year difference. And so you're seeing that, sure, on the mainland and the continental, scholasticism has taken over. And then over in uh, England, Scotus is having his own take. Mm -hmm. And these things, they're not big enough disagreements to be going up to the Pope, but eventually they do go up to the they do go up to the Pope and he makes a ruling and this is where things are united. But it relies on communication between priests, between bishops, between councils in order for any, anything to be decided. And people like Calvin, people like Luther, they did not care for that. Yep. I'm right. And I don't give a shit what the church has to say. Clearly it's not actually the church. The church is, uh, it's something invisible. The, the lengths you have to go, just to be able to try and uh, pass off your pet theology to say that the church doesn't actually really exist physically. It's just fucking mad. Absolutely insane. church is wherever there's two or more of Christ's followers. Yep. So It says so in the red. So all all the people that are... You can so tell that like there are so many things that they just inherited from being Catholics, but like what about the Cathars then? would would, Would Luther believe that the Cathars were heretics because... They were deemed heretics at a time when Luther wasn't shitting his pants over theology. Yeah, okay, but why? They were two or more people gathered in the same place in the name of Christ, so aren't they just as valid of a church as you? The answer is yes, not valid at all. Yeah, I mean, why would the Arians or the Gnostics or the Albigensians or anything, why would they not be considered Christians? Why are they still heretics? Oh, do you know that's why um, John Henry Newman ended up becoming Catholic? Uh, Who's John Henry Newman? I'm not familiar. Um, he a saint and uh, he became a cardinal in the Catholic Church. He created basically Anglo-Catholicism by trying to make the Church of England more Catholic. Um, as he said, he was reading a history of the Arian heresy, and he was—I think he was reading some sort of primary sources. And so he was reading these Arians, uh, and he realized that all of their objections to the authority of the Church were exactly the same as his. And he was going, but but, but they're heretics. But they think the same things I think. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it all just clicked, and he went off to become a Catholic cardinal. And now he's the saint. And, you know, and it's these things they look into it. There's very few people that will actually look into the history of the church or the yep. theology or the philosophy of the church. And then when they actually do start looking into it, it's like, it's like that headline that always floats around every few months, that black metal band that wanted to make yeah. more brutal... <laughs> Uh, more brutal lyrics, so they started reading the Bible, and then they all converted to Catholicism. Yeah, they wanted to blaspheme harder, so they started reading <laughs> theology and converted. It's great. But I looked it up. So Dante and Aquinas were alive at the same time, 
not not to a great extent because Aquinas was born in 1225 and died in 1274 and Dante was born in 1265. Right. But so Dante is living at a time in Italy mm-hmm. when Aquinas's thought is alive and well and is the official church doctrine pretty much. So, yeah. Again, what is it about Dante? Because I wouldn't say that this is the end of the church. I mean, scholasticism stayed within the church for the next couple of hundred years, even after the Reformation. Yep. And it's not until, I mean, even post-Trent, when things start getting a little bit more Puritan, a little more Protestant, you're still seeing that in Italy, in France, in Spain, uh, scholasticism, especially in Spain, scholasticism oh, yeah, is yeah. still very much alive and well yep. for the next couple hundred years. So. Again, what is it about Dante that was the end of an epoch for the Catholic Church? Yeah, definitely nothing. Um, has has he forgotten that one of the books of Dante's Divine Trilogy is called Purgatorio? What 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 was it? Luther said doesn't actually exist. Oh yeah, it's Purgatory. So uh, like, uh, it's, it's he's not. The thing is, he's not talking about Dante. He's talking about the Catholic Church at the time of Dante. Everything the Catholic Church believed at the time of Dante are all the same things that Luther hated. So how how was Luther ever possibly restoring the church to that sublime time, Carlisle? Like this is stuff he's just pulled out of his ass. It, it, it is entirely shit that he's pulled out of his ass because this is a man that I've if if he's born in eighteen hundred Scotland, then and he was born to a Mason father, then what Catholics was he interacting with? Yeah. Because that's, that's another thing. Also, in modern day conspiracy theories, like they link the Vatican to Freemasons, and uh, Freemasonry just, has been a heresy in the church for yeah. hundreds of years. <laughs> yeah, even to the point where fraternal societies were banned up until the Knights of Columbus were made like a hundred years ago. They hated secret societies. Yeah, so it's like, what, what Catholics were you interacting with, Thomas? Who? Who? The ones living rent free in his head. <laughs> Yeah, so, man, uh, what what else do you have on your list? What was the next thing that really got your blood boiling? Oh, I've got, I, I kind of went in chronological order because <laughs> I thought we were going to be more in line with the video. So I've got loads more yeah, still so. to go. Uh, to, let me see. So what's next on the list? Carlisle deciding that idolatry is just looking at something. That was great. Uh, I mean, what 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 even is there to say about this? Like, he just he makes up things. Yeah, and like, <laughs> just but, makes uh, avowedly so. Like, he knows he's doing that. Um, so he he, yeah. he says, uh, idolatry isn't bad because idolatry is uh, basically the way he says is using a visual tool to understand a concept. So that's a fucking icon, dude. Why do you need to call it an idol, which is something that we know is like blasphemous? Why? Well, I mean, obviously we know it because in Protestant society, there's no difference between an icon and an idol. Oh, yeah, of course. No, yeah. You're not allowed to look at a painting without worshipping it. Yeah. When you have an icon of Mary in your church or you have a crucifix, obviously you're worshipping the crucifix instead yeah. of using this as just... <laughs> Clearly, if, so, you know, if, if you have a symbol of Christianity anywhere, then you're a pagan. <laughs> That's how it works. You know what I love about that? It's that the script, the the verse in the scripture that Protestants claim, and I've I've read through all five books of the uh, of the Pentateuch, and very recently, not even like in my time growing up as a Jew, it's like very recently I've read through them, 
And when you look at where God is telling you in the Ten Commandments that you shall have no graven images and you'll have no other gods before me, he then goes and tells the Israelites how to make religious icons to have in the temple. Yep. Uh, but so, not even just way before then. Um, he commands Moses to make the bronze snake on a stick uh, and then tells them how to make, um, or tells them to make the Ark and a Covenant and put two angels on top of it. Yeah. So, so okay, like, so wow. looking almost at things if, isn't evil then, I guess. Yeah. Almost as if it's the intent yeah. that makes it. Crazy. Gee. Wow. Almost as if an icon of Christ is not an idol. Because also. If, yeah. It's you're not you're not praying to the fucking statue because th- th- this is the thing. People were actually praying to statues. Yes, as that's the golden statue, calf. Yeah, as if this statue, when they weren't looking, was going to make magical things happen. That's an idol. If you have to ask, like, if if you think that just having any sort of um, sacred imagery is idolatry, what was the difference then between the golden calf that Aaron made and the Ark of the Covenant? What's the difference? It's the intent. Oh, so, okay, so just having an image of something isn't idolatry. Okay, that's changed. Anyway, this is all, that, that, was, that was fucking Calvin, that all idolatry shit. Yeah. Anyway, Luther was fine with it. Yeah, because Lutherans still have it, and Anglicans and Episcopalians still have it. Yep. So, <sighs> yeah, it was, it was Calvin that did that. It's just fucking yeah, retarded. There's really just not much. Like, he's just wrong about what idol. He makes up his own definition. And I, I yeah. guess this is why he likes Luther so much. Because <laughs> there are these people with these egos that just make up things and then claim this is how it's always been. Yep. And if you try yeah. and tell them wrong, they're just going to scream louder and start <laughs> shitting and pissing and vomiting. It's like for over 2000 years, there was a, a, a set definition of what idolatry was going back to the Israelites. There is a definition of what idolatry is, and it's the worship of the actual fucking idol. Yep. Because you have idolatry and you have paganism, and they can go hand in hand. Very often they do, Yep. but they're not inherently the same thing. So his his idea of idolatry is completely pulled out of his ass, and there's... Yeah. Well, it clearly what is because he, he, he says it? he says it's not a bad thing. Like no matter who you are, no matter how much you venerate icons, you know that idolatry is a bad thing. It means to worship, you know, something physical, the kind of worship that should only be given to God. But then Carlos says, you know, no, idolatry is actually good because here's what it means. Why? Do, and, why, and, why do you think you can get away with that? And the rich thing is that after the Enlightenment, when philosophy comes back to all the Protestant parts of Europe. Intellect becomes an idol itself. Oh, reason becomes oh, an idol. No, that, that was at the time of the Reformation. Uh, Luther said that reason is a whore, and he said uh, if he didn't know any better, he would think that Aristotle was sent by the devil to corrupt the church. <laughs> yeah, there is that, but then it also it takes the inverse position, like 200 years later in that, or not even 200, like when was Descartes? 100-something uh, years after Luther? Maybe not even that. I th- he was really close. So within this like century span, reason goes from something that is to be entirely shunned and becomes outlawed in almost every Protestant country. They lose touch entirely with philosophy. It's seen as an idol. And then by the Enlightenment, they start worshipping it again. Because what was it that after the French Revolution, they went down and started taking icons from the church? And what did they put up instead? Statues of the goddess of reason. 
Oh, fantastic. So, so they literally started uh, worshipping reason. But so also it, such a bastardized version of it. Like Descartes' yes. idea of reason isn't reason. No. If you, if you believe that you can't know if reality exists, you're not being reasonable. I don't give a shit how you <laughs> talk about... How, yeah, whatever. No, I mean, I, I, again, every every argument we're having today was hashed out by the Greeks over 2,000 years ago. Yep. So, I mean, how do you know that? Or what is the most... Like, eventually it was known as sophistry, just... and if you were a sophist, you'd just be fucking like, slapped and laughed at, deservedly so. But now we call it, it philosophy. It, in this piece, Carlisle calls the Catholic Church a bunch of sophists. Honestly. It's, it's like, how do you know that? Or what is the most basic thing? It's like, eventually you just have to accept that reality is real. Or else you, you're never going to be able to prove that reality is fucking real. You just accept that it is. But that yeah. this is a condition. Like, it is real. We're regardless dealing in of, reality. Regardless of all this, you'd have to fucking ask Carlisle, what, what is it? What is it the church is doing that's sophistry? What? Because all of it was being done at the time of Dante when you say that they were sublime. Fucking get, like, there's no basis for anything he's saying. Which, um, what was it? What was it? The, the philosophy? Was the philosophizing sophistry? Because Carlyle was a philosopher. Yeah. And just, man, the church had been using philosophy ever since it fucking began. Yeah, turns out it was a great conversion tool. Or just, well, another way of understanding the truth of different aspects yeah. of reality. Crazy. Oh no, yeah. it's all sophistry, except for mine. <laughs> it's, all, it's all sophistry and it's all idolatry and Except for everything I agree with. <laughs> and except <laughs> idolatry is actually good. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, you, and you and you think you're not a sophist. <laughs> it's I it's like what can you again, what can even be said about this point in that it's just Carlisle is wrong, pulled something out of his ass, and is arguing with over 2,000 years of an established definition of idolatry. He's not even arguing. He's just saying things. Like, there's no argument in anything he says. Nothing is presented about, apart from, um, why have I forgotten the fucking name again? Indulgences. <laughs> Aside from indulgences, he doesn't actually say anything theological that he disagreed with about the church. He just says, at the time of Dante, it was great. At the time of Luther, it was bad. So Luther brought it back to the greatness. Um, and here's a good point. Great men, what do they do? They unify and centralize. Was, did, did Luther... Fuck off, man. Like, yeah, you, you could argue that the 95 Theses, at that time, Luther was still a Catholic. He hadn't been excommunicated. He was a monk. Um, but uh, in I, I wrote down the name of it. In a papal bull by Pope Leo X, uh, called Exerge Domine, uh, it, they... The Pope explicitly rejected 41 of Luther's propositions. Not all of those even came from the 95 Theses. So mm -hmm. approximately one third of the 95 Theses the church said was wrong. And if, if you are a priest of a church and you, you put out a bunch of theses, say, here you go, guys, what do you think of this? And they say, no, you got, you've got a good point most of the time. Here are the things we think you're wrong. And you think if you throw a shit fit and say, right, that's it. The church isn't actually the church anymore. Uh, I'm leaving. I'm taking everyone with me and starting a war. How are you, the reformer and the great man? Because um, the first thing uh, of note that I think Carlisle is, is brought up in Brian's video uh, is he says that the priest in a time of war guards his flock away from error and unites them. Uh, who started the war? And how, in starting the war, did Luther guard the flock of Christendom? How? 
fucking mad. The only thing yeah, yeah. Um, close yeah. to that, that time uh, that you could describe as a spiritual war was the Hussite Wars. And the Hussite Wars remained in the church. They did a better job of reforming anything than Luther did. Yeah. And you know who kept things together? The church with the Council of Trent. Yep. And they actually and, reformed things. Yeah. And not that the Council of Trent was good, because I don't actually think it was the right decision, at least in regards to the indulgences, mm-hmm. because nothing was wrong. But they, as the church does, they tried to keep things together. Yes. And I looked it up. So the Council of Trent began in 1545, and this piece was written in 1840. So there was literally almost a full 300 years after the Council of Trent. So his only point here in indulgences and what he lauded Luther for had been gone for 300 fucking years. (laughs) Yep. And in those 300 fucking years, the church got infected with the Protestant heresy where they inverted the whole idea of, you know, uh, Mortal sins versus, uh, was it venial sins? Yeah, venial. Yeah, venial. So they inverted that. They accepted that inversion, and they ruled like that for the next couple hundred years until the Vatican I Council, which I guess what that started 20 years after this piece was written? Yeah. Um, yeah, take? probably. Yeah, it was in the late 1800s, wasn't it? So it's like we're still living in a time where the Catholic Church accepted Protestant culture. Yeah, pretty much. Um. Yeah, because they they never faced anything like this. Really, like the church has always been a unifying force. Um, something that Protestants complain about so much today is just basic evangelization by saying like, uh, "No, Christmas uh, was originally a pagan holiday." Yeah, and by turning it into a Christian holiday, you managed to like convert all of fucking Germany. Wasn't that worth it? Now you get a party, and uh, thousands of souls are saved. That seems pretty worth it to me. It doesn't underlie the theology at all. And even if you go back to, let's say, 1054, when the schism happened, did the, uh, did the Pope excommunicate the Orthodox churches? or Both. They literally excommunicated each other at the same so time. They excommunicated each other. They couldn't keep that shit together. But there's still, you still see points where when the holidays overlap, the, the Orthodox and the Catholic Church will still celebrate them together. Yep. And they say it in communion with the Byzantine Catholic Church. So, and you know the like, um, the Roman this this is this is where it gets to a one way street. But the Roman Catholic Church uh, recognizes that Orthodox sacraments are valid, so they say yes. that they do have the true Eucharist. It's very vague whether Orthodox believe that about us, um, but you know clearly we're not just out here doing the throwing your toys out of the pram and having a tantrum. We're willing to actually try and bring this unity and reform that Carlyle says is good. Uh, it's just that you. Ha- are idolizing a fucking petulant child and saying that he is a reformer. He wasn't. No, like he was. He was the destroyer of the epoch. Yep. Because if you look at it, uh, Bird recently sent this in a group chat I was in, and it's a whole list of like officially recognized by the Vatican baptisms of different Protestant sects and of Orthodox sects. Oh, nearly all of so, them. As long as you say the right words, it's recognized yeah. as valid. Yeah, as long as there is a valid baptism, like the church will say that you have a valid baptism. They still, they're not going to say you're in communion with the church. They're not going to yes. say that you're right, but there's they're giving you the out that, hey, at least the most important sacrament, you have it valid. Yep. As, as long, it literally, and the great thing is as well, 
the only thing you have to do to have a valid baptism is do what Jesus says in the Bible, which is that water has to be involved and you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyone can, if anyone does that, yes, you're right. They won't say you are in communion with the church, uh, but you will have had a valid baptism. Yeah. So again, where is, where, where's the unification? Because the church tried their damnedest to keep things together. And so, when so should have. Eight, Carlisle is right that this is a good thing, that um, yeah. reform and taking out um, corrupted parts of institutions is good. <laughs> it just wasn't fucking Luther that did it. I mean, 100%. And the, the Pope literally went himself to Henry VIII and begged him to not get a divorce. Yeah, that's right. So it's like, these are pe- these were great men. Sure, maybe they don't stand out because they didn't guide in a whole epoch, but they were that spiritual captain that kept things together. Yep. And like what, what the church has always done is that there are clear lines in the sand, but they are willing to go right up to that line if it means... Uh, keeping the peace basically but if you try yeah. and push him over that line that's when you have to say no sorry you're completely yeah. out of order if the pope was ready to you know uh confirm henry the eighth's illegitimate children <laughs> and like make them legitimate heirs to the throne just so he doesn't get divorced it's like how the fuck can you say that the catholic church is divisive or that they're wrong it's like if they're Crazy. willing to toe the line to keep things together, then it's these presuppositions that they constantly have, these boogeymen that they've made up in their heads yeah. over a couple hundred years. And, of course, if Carlisle is someone who lauds Cromwell, <laughs> then who's, his whole thing is the Anglican Church is too Catholic. Yep. What? But then it shows you how much of a fucking idiot even Cromwell was, because then the Puritans came along and said, no, Cromwell's idea of purity isn't enough, and that's why they got fucking kicked out. <laughs> yeah, I really hate, really hate the Puritans. Yeah. Talk about it, it's so bad that the English kick you out of the fucking country after a Protestant, uh, after a Puritan revolution. Yes, and you, but <laughs> still... In, in the waves of hysteria and shit fits, they just can't stop themselves. But this go, it does go all the way back to the beginning of the revolution, even though uh, Reformation, even though well, what's Puritans the difference? Are, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that was my point. I was going to say this was not a reform, it was a revolution. Yeah. It was not a reformer, yeah. it was a revolutionary, completely. Yeah, and it's <sighs> yeah, uh, so what's the next point on the list? Um, okay, so I'm pretty much at the end of most of my notes now. We've we've gone over some of these are quite detailed, and we've gone over them a little bit. So instead of just repeating myself, last one I've well, not this isn't the last one. But okay, one I've got here. Uh, something that Carlyle talks about as being a unitive force is the freedom of private judgment. Because um, when f- men are freely allowed to believe what they think is true, and when they come together in communion, they will be united. Okay, yep, that's that's great, um, but private you don't get private judgment over what the truth actually is you can't this this to me reeks of of an undertone of subjectivism he's not being subjectivist mm-hmm. but he is essentially saying like ah live and let live you know if, if people really think something's true that's fine so, okay but what if they're actually wrong <laughs> you, you can't you can't just uh give way to their private judgment and I'm not saying you need to fucking like burn them at the stake, but you can't just say that. Oh, as long as they're united, they can believe whatever they want to believe. I mean, you want to talk about sophistry? <laughs> um, oh, hey. here, here is a here is a banger. I wrote: truth cannot be reformed. 
no it's and you you would think that that's a, like a self-evident statement yes but uh, I, I guess uh, the freedom of private judgment comes over giving a shit about what's actually true. Yeah, like how because how... it unifies people. Except it didn't. It clearly ripped Europe into pieces. Yeah, how can you say that? Like, when men are allowed to believe what they think is true, well, how? how... And then you get unity. Yeah, and, so... like, like and obviously it's not because look at the state of fucking society today. Yes, like. Sure, you know, we've actually, your truth. We've gone, yeah. Are we united because we live our own truths? Yeah. We've gone through the fucking horseshoe. So you know what? In a sick and perverse way, we're not united, but there is a unification in society around the perversion of the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In that you have to, we have to deny truth and we have to admit things that are like, oh, a man can totally become a woman. A woman can totally become a man. You can totally get divorced. Uh, abortion is non-murder. You you can go over all these things and you can say that, well, there's no truth, yep. which is a truth statement, of course. That's yes. fucking philosophy 101. So you, you've just made a truth claim. Therefore, there is a truth. Tell that so, to the postmodernists. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't have anything to tell them. I just have something to put against their heads. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, so now we're unified in that you cannot digress from this and assert a truth because then you will be banished from society. So in a sick and perverse way, and that is the res- that is the ultimate result of having an idea like this, you will have people unified in lying to themselves and lying to everybody around them, which is one of the gravest sins there is. Yeah. So yep. it's like... Uh, but, well, you know, clearly this, this, this unites people, so it must be good. Oh, somehow, yeah. Somehow letting everybody decide what the truth is. Yep, that's how that's how you come to a consensus. And how is that truth? I mean, that's that's the part that baffles me the most. How is that truth? Like I remember the first time I ever interacted with this. I was in my uh, final year of high school, and I was sitting around with some friends, and it was me and a guy friend, and then two uh, female friends of ours, and we're sitting around talking about it, and we got onto the topic of quote unquote subjective truth. And your subjective reality. Oxymorons. And exactly. And even at the time, I wasn't philosophically minded. I wasn't even religiously minded. I was in my atheist phase. But I was saying there listening to this uh this friend of mine. She was saying, like, well, you know, if someone says that the sky isn't blue, or they say that, you know, we're sitting on concrete right now, what if they believe it's water? And my friend and I were just like, but it's it's not water. We know we're sitting on concrete. It's concrete. It's right here. It's it's fucking concrete. It's obviously not water. We know what water is. We know what concrete is. We know that the sky is blue. Sure, maybe you're fucking colorblind and you perceive blue as something differently, but your perception of the truth has no bearing on the truth itself. Yep. And uh. that that's that's what this shit leads to. Like you can't have private judgment and people will come to know what the truth is. Like, no, you don't just happen upon the truth. You have to actively seek it out. And this, that, that, those examples are good about like uh, if someone doesn't think the sky is blue, then it's not, it's not blue for them. That is, is how you so easily uh, trace this bullshit back to the uh, Protestant Revolution. Let's call it from now on, um, because <laughs> that's Dave... what the contragentilist guys call it. Oh, good. Okay, well, there's an- another thing I'm accidentally going to steal from them. Well, um, that what was I stole from Grant? Oh, that's it. Uh, what zero metaphysics does to a motherfucker? 
um, anyway, so Descartes is a is a a product of the Protestant Revolution. Grew up in Huguenot, France. Is it Huguenot or Huguenot? I don't know. Uh, Huguenot. Oh, okay. Good. I've been saying it right this whole time. Um, yeah, he, he grew up in this uh, in a Calvinist area, which said reason is a whore, philosophy is evil. You only ever need uh, the Bible and revealed truth. Uh, and then he he comes up with this. Uh, philosophy that all of Europe end up, ends up believing, which is that you can't trust your senses. And so, like, if, if literally, you've got three steps to this process. You've got re- uh, Reformation saying you can only trust the Bible. Um, you've got philosophers saying, oh, right, well, uh, okay, can't really trust my own senses then. And then step three, oh, if, if the sky's green to someone else, then it's green to them. One, two, three. If you give a shit about the truth, um, I don't see how you can protestant yeah and and here's how little your bearing on reality has on the truth so we know that the sky is blue and you can prove this and sure the sky's color changes but in the daytime on a clear day the sky is blue now i might have something wrong with me that perceives green as blue but how would i know this yes you would it's, it's impossible because I would not be able from my senses to tell the difference. Yep. Therefore, even if I, you were able to see the rods and cones in my eyes, you were put me in a lab and you as a person who can properly perceive blue, were able to see that the way my eyes are structured, it perceives blue as green. And you tell me that now I'm seeing green. Well, my whole life I've been seeing blue up until this point without this further knowledge, I have known green to be blue. And it does not change the fact that the sky is blue yep. and that I will tell you that the sky is blue because I cannot tell you that the sky is green because I don't know what green is. Yes. Yeah. Because and, uh, what was it? Uh, the way Aquinas put it, which is uh, shows that empiricism is true. It's fucking David Hume. Empiricism. Yeah. Um, trying to think of the, I, I hate paraphrasing Aquinas, but I think he says um, nothing exists in the mind, which was not first uh, brought there by the senses. Which is true. Yeah. Your mind has nothing inherent to it other than what it can perceive. Yeah. It's just all philosophy after the Protestant Revolution is completely fucked up. And there's, that's not a coincidence. Uh, the no. Empiricism went the way of David Hume, which said that uh, reason doesn't really have any purpose. It should only exist to, what did he say? Uh, be a slave to the passions. And then you've got uh, Descartes saying, oh, I don't know if reality even exists outside of myself. Everything just gets so completely fucked. No, and it's, it, here's the thing. It, again, this, and you would think that this is all philosophy 101, but people apparently, even if they do philosophy 101, it doesn't stick with them. You eventually, because the Greeks already had this problem, and this is why you know, you have the unmoved mover. Because you eventually have to reach a primary element where you just accept it as it is, yeah. Or you're gonna you're gonna infinite you're gonna be in this infinite reduction, yes. Where you're and this is the problem we have now with science, where we're looking for something smaller than an atom, and then we're looking for something smaller than an electron or a proton or an was it uh, not ion uh, neutron, yeah. And then we're looking for something smaller than quarks. And it's like, well, eventually there's gonna be nothing under that. Yeah, it has to. So be you're looking for. And it's, it's not going to make sense because the human mind cannot fully comprehend nothingness. Mm. But it's going to be that you eventually reach the thing that you just have to accept came from nothing. 
and that something came from nothing. And that's why there is a creator, because there had to be something that came from there had to be something that was not the nothing. Yes, the something that just always is. And so you have to eventually you can be as empirical as you want. It has no bearing if you don't accept that eventually you just have to accept that there is a truth that there is something you have to make this leap of faith. Otherwise you're going to infinitely reduce because how can you empirically prove empiricism? Yeah. You, you, you can't uh, scientifically prove science. No, you just have to accept that there is something inherent to the quality of a human that is able to perceive these things and to deal in reality and to parse through it and to figure it out. Like yeah. that is just an inherent quality to, to a human being. And that that's axiomatic logic. And uh, it's something which uh, it, what's the, there's a, a way to like catch someone out where you could say, um, ask them which is more important, science or philosophy. If they say science, say why, and the first word that comes out of their mouth, you can say right now you're using philosophy because all of science is built on axiomatic philosophy, logic, which is to say that there there, there are axioms, unchanged rules about the universe that are just are the way they are, and if you don't have those, you literally can't do science. Ax- one of the axioms being that you can actually, when you look at the universe, you're seeing something that's actually there. Can't scientifically prove that. That is an axiom. Yeah. And, and we, <laughs> we, have, we have an issue in our society where the axioms are just completely made up. Uh, like they're, not going down to, they're not going down to the building blocks. Because if you look at someone like John Locke, he made up axioms out of thin air. Yes, yeah, he did. It's like, and wow, uh, Western society is built off a lot of Lockean ideas. And it's like, yes. well where did these axioms come from? Because they, they're not topics that because you eventually have to reach an axiom, but what he was dealing in were not topics where there's just inherently an axiom here. Like he had to make up justifications for why the King does not own that property. Yeah. And why you actually own it. It's like, ooh. Yeah. Man, <laughs> so this- I think you're, you're totally right though, that all of Locke's axioms were completely made up because like, you can borrow an axiom from someone else and you can uh, who's borrowed it from someone else who borrowed it from someone else who borrowed it from someone else as long as like just as we're talking about breaking the infinite regress someone actually had an argument for why this is an axiom you can find so much of john lockwood says uh right um yep that's it okay, okay why john uh just yeah it is oh, yeah thanks, he was mate. an original thinker in that he made it up yeah <laughs> didn't even like i don't think he even argues his axioms it just says no. that this is an axiom. Why? Because, because I did you not hear me? I just said it's an axiom. <laughs> yeah. He just asserts because a man makes his labor with the land. Well, why does that give him ownership over it? Source. Where's your source? It's like, yeah. and, and that's the thing is that, yeah, sure, property rights just does not have an axiomatic base. It's what is the standard in your society and do you have the power to enforce it? And that's, that's all political systems. Like a political system does not have any real axiomatic base if you don't have a medical metaphysical system which is why yeah uh, i really like the juvenile because in being french even if he wasn't so much a practicing catholic in his life he was informed by catholic ideas and when you read on power in the first few pages he's telling you where does power come from god (laughs) and he and he cites saint paul so it's like Okay, at least he, he's citing something. He's not a lock who's just making this up and yeah. saying that, well, this is your God-given right. Well, why is it your God-given right? Where is it your God-given right? What yeah, is a right? He's a Protestant. Shouldn't it be sola scriptura? Where does it say that in the Bible? 
exactly. And and these are the problems. Like we have, we have the societies built off axioms that come from nowhere. We have ethical systems built off ethical systems, which is one of uh, this was one of Yarvin's points in why I'm not a libertarian, and it's that you have ethical systems that are just these loops because they're built off themselves. Yes. And that's like, that's like a Humean problem in that you, you just have a system of ethics because you have a system of ethics. Yep. Whereas, well, the Catholics had a system of ethics because they had a system of metaphysics. That yes. It's like, it's all built from somewhere yep. and it's built off a two rich traditions, the rich tradition of Greek philosophy and the rich tradition of, of, Christian theology. Yeah. So it's coming from somewhere. Yep. And just it, it, all, it all terminates. Um, it all terminates uh, in basically uh, Aquinas's five ways, essentially, until you logically have to say, um, you could either, you can go either one of two ways. Look at the system of ethics proposed by the Catholic Church and say, why, 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 why? And you will find your way going to the uh, metaphysical claims of God. Or you can go the other way around. Start from there. Say, right, here is a fundamental truth. Something exists rather than nothing. Why is that? Here's why. Uh, And then build up the Uh, ethical system. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, so it all comes down to what no metaphysics does to a motherfucker, what no proper philosophy does to a motherfucker, uh, what no religion does to a motherfucker. Because if you're, because we looked into it, Carlisle's dad was very into scripture and read it. He didn't. He didn't teach his son. He taught his son arithmetic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. A lot of these thinkers would have been redditors. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what's the last point you got? So we can uh, start bringing this to a wrap. Honestly, that might have been it. I need. I've gone like completely in random order through my notes. <laughs> it's worked. So oh, good. Because I'm, so, I'm, so I'm much just hoping it. that someone watching this who hasn't watched the video isn't like completely fucking lost on things we're talking about. But that's yeah, that's their problem, said, not mine. Yeah, maybe we should say at the beginning, like, hey, before you watch this, go watch Ryan Turnip Seat's video, but so much for that. Yeah, well, we, we just, uh, we've told also, you it's wrong, so you, you, that's all you need to hear. Yeah, <laughs> and if you want to see how wrong it is yourself, like... Uh, <laughs> you don't go, trust us for some reason. Yeah, go to gutenberg.org and look up Thomas Carlyle's On Heroes, Hero Worship, and the Heroic in History. It's right there, and you can see it. It's not that long. And you can skip through it and go right to the Luther section. And you'll you'll see that we're literally just going off what is written here. The guy makes up things in history. He makes up his own definitions. He makes up stories. He makes up theologies. And he runs with it. Yeah. <sighs> the, the, the castle built on clouds. <laughs> yeah, this is... It's it's an insane piece. I'm gonna read through the rest of this and probably also do episodes on that because I'm really interested to see the hero as prophet Muhammad. Yes. <laughs> Actually, before we do wrap up, that's one of the things that really, really got to me, and it's that he called Luther a prophet. Oh, sorry, I lost you there. You're gonna say again? Uh, he called Luther a prophet. Right. Uh, okay. um again carlisle where why how what is your definition of a prophet well yeah who knows what the fuck prophet means to him it's like there there have been no prophets since the old testament because there have been no need for prophets because christ fulfilled the prophecy so again 
at least Joseph Smith was honest and said that it was all wrong and he was the last prophet and he's greater than Christ. Which, well, also what Muhammad did, so. Yeah, exactly. So Make of that what you like, will. Uh, and, and that's why these things are fucking heresies, because there's no more need for prophets. Yep. There's just there's the no church. So how the fuck are you going to call Luther a prophet? What did he prophesize? Um, you know, but as far as I'm aware, I know, yeah, I know he wouldn't have even done that. He, Luther wouldn't have even called himself that. So where has Carlyle got this from? Unless, again, he's saying, right, here's what prophet means because I say so. Yeah. It's, a, uh, it's, it's mind-numbing. And it, it's especially mind-numbing because Carlyle is an important thinker. And he's yes. a respected thinker. Yep. And he's generally a good thinker. Because his whole idea of the great man is a very good political insight. Yes, and, and e- everything he says about the great man and reformation and stuff like this is completely right. He's just 100% chosen the wrong target as Luther. Yeah, Ev- Every and possible I, way. And it goes to show that one of the things I like most about the Catholics is the humility to it. And that you can even say that the Pope could go to hell. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure like, quite a few of them have. Oh, oh, I'm not yeah. sure, but you know. Yeah, I don't want to deal in that. You know, I don't want to be the one that says, oh, the Pope's going to hell, because none of us have the power to say that. No. And and that's the humility kicking in, is that, but then even if you're completely wrong about, so your examples are completely wrong, you can be right. Like, the church doesn't ban being stupid. Duh. The church doesn't ban being wrong. Yep. As long as you're not a heretic. And it, it, it doesn't ban disagreement. Like you talked about before no. um, of Aquinas and Scotus. Well, before both of them, you had William of Ockham. He thought some really different things to either any of them, but he wasn't fucking, you know, declared a heretic and going to hell. No. And so that's, that's the thing about all of this. It's like <clears throat> there needs to be this level of humility in understanding that we are all flawed and broken. So you can be completely right about something, which there were a lot of things that Carlisle was completely right about yep but he picks the wrong people because his own biases his own experiences and he picks a lot of the wrong people to laud and i think that's, that's the only way to fine. explain it uh, it's it's something yep. that like you say we talked about in private we see so much of uh people who are in the same sort of circles as us just like just completely irrational when it comes to catholicism it, the only possible explanation i have for a lot of it is confirmation bias it it has to be. It has to be that you're not willing to take that step of humility to admit that maybe someone you don't like is right. Yeah. Or maybe and, yeah. Oh, to, even a better start than that would be, okay, maybe someone you don't like, maybe you've got the wrong impression of them. Um, yeah. And like you've just, like, how many people who we know that hate Catholicism would be completely fucking flabbergasted that we can say the Pope can go to hell? <laughs> like, but they have this idea that we think the Pope is, uh, like, the mouth of well, the word come back but uh no very far from it he's a human he goes to confession same as everyone else yeah yeah so i mean if you look into the history of popes there were a lot of ones that were just bad people yeah <laughs> terrible people uh and there were times where they were wrong and there were there were times where there were two popes that excommunicated each other yeah uh, so and i would like to ask know? is there anything that any pope's ever done that christ couldn't forgive because uh, I'm sure you need some things to be forgiven of, per you know, imaginary person in this example. And I know you yeah. do, Jay, but you know, I wasn't trying to call you out that much. Oh, <laughs> hey, man, I know, I know that if I died right now, I am going to hell. <laughs> Fuck so. you now. <laughs> Baptism of desire. You're uh, okay. 
But yeah, so at the end of the day, like Carlisle was right about a lot of things and he picked some weird people to be wrong about. And that that's perfectly fine. Yeah. It's just if you are someone who you don't even have to be a Catholic to to read this piece and go like, well, I don't know if you're exactly right about what you're talking about. You, you don't need to be Catholic. Everything I said, everything I said about like uh, his love for Catholicism at the time of Dante, just like that's not me being biased. I'm not here being like, oh, but you know, the, the, for the philosoph for the theological reasons, that is me saying no. He loved Catholicism at the time of Dante. They were doing indulgences and scholasticism and praying to the saints and having a pope <laughs> and believing in purgatory. So, what is it about Luther? He actually thought he needed to reform yeah because it was all there at the time of dante which he loves it's it's absurd absolutely insane it's, it's all it, it's it's a mind-numbing piece it's yeah. a very mind-numbing piece and it's a very influential piece for people in our sphere so yeah it's something that it, it has to be looked at with this i won't say objective lens because we're not objective but there is a level of just approaching it historically yeah and well, saying well what yeah um it, you you can just do the historical approach without even getting into the theology. But the, no. po the point is, there is no theology in this. There's not. Just, no. There's none. No. So I think we've, we, it's a dead horse we're beating at I this so. point. So uh, why don't you tell us before we wrap about uh, your new project? So you've given up your YouTube channel because of, you know, life and time constraints and all yeah. that. So tell us what you're doing now. Yeah, that was the big thing. Um, I've, struggled to even just get this uh, hour and a half to be honest things are crazy right now so instead of um, spending all the time it takes to make youtube videos i've moved over to substack and i changed my name from anglo libertarian to Chayada of mercia uh, if you want to know why go on substack and my page and click on about um you can find me at lettersfrommercia.substack.com and Chayada of mercia on twitter you ever gonna start putting things behind a paywall or are you gonna keep it free i th i yeah, if if I could, I would like to just do um, audio versions behind a paywall. I don't think I ever want to spend so much time writing stuff and only a handful mm. of people read it. Yeah, that, that's a that's a pretty good way to approach it. I think that's a, that's a pretty good idea. If so. I can do that, yeah. If, if I could make it only a bonus paying rather than like if you want to actually, you know, consume my content, give me money, I'd really like that. Yeah, well, sounds pretty good, man. So uh, tell us where we can find you once again. Lettersfrommercia.substack.com and Chayada of Mercia and on Twitter. And thank you so much for coming on, Baz. Thank you for it has been a pleasure. <laughs> uh, hopefully I can steal some more of your time soon. No worries. We'll meet up for a pint someday. Hello. Yeah.